Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, and it's on page 1245 of the Pew Bible. This morning we're continuing our study and we're getting kind of close to, to wrapping it up. Probably only have maybe one more week, maybe two. We'll see what, how the Lord directs that. But this is an important and a powerful section of Scripture. Here Paul lets us know that we're engaged in a spiritual battle. This, and this passage is a, is a call to arms for every true believer. It's a reminder that every Christian life is lived on the battlefield. We are soldiers of the cross. We've been enlisted into the Lord's army. There is a determined enemy out there. It's not a war against flesh and blood. It's not against human foes. Although he uses those, this is against spiritual forces, evil in the heavenly places. Satan hates God. All his demons hate God. And they hate everything that represents God. Satan seeks to destroy, to undermine, destroy anything that glorifies God, including us. In order to stand against us, we must have on the full armor of God. We've been given everything that we need for this battle. We've looked at five pieces of the armor so far. The belt of truth speaks of a life that's built upon faithfulness to the word of God and to the God of the word. It's pulling in those loose ends of our life. Bringing it into conformity, spiritual discipline, so that we don't get tripped up. The breastplate of, of righteousness is, a, is practical, personal holiness, living in accordance to the Word of God. A holy life protects our heart and protects our minds. Shoes of peace is our, our foundation in Jesus. It means that we're saved by grace, we know it, and we're, we've made peace with God, and, and nothing can move us from that. We're anchored in that. The first three pieces are the ones that you, you put on. You wear them all the time. You're always ready for when the battle comes. Always, always living in commitment and holiness, confidence and in and to the Lord, a constant state of readiness. You've always got these pieces on. But the next three, the next three you take up you take up when the battle comes. You have them at the ready. And then when the battle comes, you pick them up. Utilize them for their intended purposes. The shield of faith is our unshakable belief and trust in God. The trust that leads to action in our daily lives. You either, you either believe Satan or you believe God. Faith and trust in God cause you to follow what, wherever he leads the helmet of salvation is the unflinching knowledge and right understanding about our salvation. Complete confidence in the power of God that has, is, and will save us from all sin. Past, present, and future. And that assurance blocks the blows of the enemy and it allows us to live differently. Today we come to what many consider the last piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit. This may be the most familiar most people. 
So let's read the passage together, and then we'll, we'll dig in this together. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. To get, today we're going to follow a, a pretty simple outline as we look at this. What is the sword? What is the sword? What is the historical reference and the context? Because that's important for us to understand the spiritual significance. And that's what does it represent, the spiritual significance to us. And then how is it used that's the, the practical application of the Scripture in our lives. And then how do we take it up? What's the personal action that must be taken? So first, what is the sword? What is the sword? Paul once again uses the, the vivid imagery of the, the Roman soldier, a very common sight that his readers would have been very familiar with. Their understanding of them would make his point very clear. It's like that old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? If you know it, if you have that picture in your mind, you understand the details. Paul uses use of the word sword is significant too. The sword is a lethal weapon. It's a lethal weapon. For us, for us, a sword, a sword is, a, is an ornament or a historical relic that you, you hang on the wall right? Paul's day, everyone knew what a sword was. They had a, a vivid mental picture of what it meant to take up a sword. It was used to slay, to pierce, to decapitate, to dismember, to thrust through an opponent. Putting this image in their minds would have helped make all the connections that he intended them to see. So we should try to put ourselves in, in that mindset too. So the sword, this is the only offensive weapon the average Roman soldier would have taken into battle. Could have been used defensively or offensively. We'll talk about more, that more later. If we go back to this time, there would have been two kinds of swords that a soldier would have carried. We touched on this a little bit last week. First, there was the Romphia, Romphia, the broadsword, the broadsword. It's the one that we talked about last week. It was the massive three to four foot long blade that you would hold with two hands. It was double-edged. 
used it both hands and you would swing it wildly, violently to, in order to, to crush the, the, the skull of your opponent or try to take their head right off. This is a sword that made the helmet that we talked about last week such an important piece to wear, to deflect those blows and to protect the head. But there was a second sword, the Machira. The Machira was the gladius. And these were, these were about two inches wide. And they were maybe 12 to 18 inches long. They were more like a dagger. This was a, a very common weapon in this time. This is what those that were, came to arrest Jesus were carrying. They were carrying this type of sword. This is what Peter used to lop off Malchus's ear. According to Acts 12.2, it's the type of sword that killed James, John's brother. Hebrews 11.37 uses this Meshera sword to describe the slaughter of the heroes of the faith. So this was a, a very common sword for, for people to carry. This was a sword that every Roman soldier had with him all the time. To put it in the modern vernacular, he didn't always have his rifle, but he always had his pistol. Didn't always have his long gun, but he always had his small weapon at his side. Never left home without it. It was carried in a sheath or in a scabbard that it was attached to the belt. Normally, it was, it was carried on the right side because most soldiers were right-handed. This sword was not used in a broad, general way to, to make wild swings at somebody, to try to lop off their head or anything. It wasn't raised over the head to, to try to crush their heads. No, this sword was, was used in close hand-to-hand combat, when the enemy was immediately in front of you, when you were toe-to-toe, would be quickly pulled out and and then stuck to the ribcage or the lungs of the soldier right in front of you. This type of wound was most often fatal, sometimes immediately so. Because because of its small size, it, it had to be used with precision with accuracy, with skill, with thought. It couldn't be swung wildly like the broadsword. This little, this little dagger had to, to hit a, a specific point. It had to find a chink in the armor. And then that small opening it would be thrust in. There was virtually no recovery for an enemy stabbed this way. So the soldier needed this sword. Its purpose was, was for stabbing, for penetrating, for striking at the vital organs. The sword was always at hand and, and ready to use. Every other piece of, of armor was meant to deflect or to repel the enemy. But the, the Roman soldier had to have this, this sword to put to death his enemy. If he went into battle and only resisted the attacks but never struck back, you could never win. You could never win. You're only putting off the inevitable if you're only on defense. Inevitably, defeat will come. 
It's just a matter of time. So that's the historical background, the image that Paul intended to put into the minds of those that he wrote to. It's important for us to have that understanding too so that we can understand the next point. What does it represent? What's the spiritual significance for us? How does this relate to our spiritual lives? What does this sword represent in our lives? And to answer that, let's look again at the Again, in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, many of us are familiar enough with this passage to say, well, it's right there. It's right there. It's, 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 the, it's the Word of God. The Bible. The Bible is our sword. Right? While that is true, it's not the complete answer. Sometimes we can read so fast that we, that we miss some of the details. What sword does it say this is? What sword does this say this is? It says it's the, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. There are two things that we need to understand about this. First, it's a reminder that this weapon is for spiritual warfare. It's for spiritual warfare. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, so our our weapons can't be either. Our sword was not forged on on human anvils or, or tempered in earthly fires. It is a spiritual weapon. Next, it is a weapon of divine origin provided for us by, by the Spirit of God. This means the sword here is the one that comes from the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit. It's not saying that the Spirit is the sword. The Spirit is not the sword. It's saying that the Spirit gives the sword. The Spirit provides the the sword. The Spirit is the one that puts it into your hand. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer to put sword into our hands. The Spirit is the source, the giver of the sword. The Spirit is the source of the sword, so what is the sword? Continue the verse, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword the Spirit provides is the Word of God. But a special note first that we we need to make sure that that we really understand, since we're talking about these two things. We need to make sure that we understand the inseparability, the inseparability of the two. The working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the Word of God. The working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the Word of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit never, never works independent of the Word of God. These two will never be separated. They'll never be separated. They're always locked together. If you have one, you've got the other. But the what the God of the Spirit is doing in the world at any time or place is always in conjunction with the ministry of the Word of God. To separate them is to go off into charismatic confusion, into mysticism or, or all kinds of religious superstitions. Well, I received a new word. The Spirit gave me a new word to share with you. The word is complete. There is no new word. Amen. 
I discovered a new, deeper meaning. Nobody else knows this secret revelation that I was given. There is no secret revelation. It's been given to all of us. It's right there. The Spirit of God and the Word of God always work together hand in hand. The Holy Spirit is not going to give you a special gift to understand the Word that nobody else can understand. Now, each of us have have better skills and better abilities that the Spirit will bless us with, but He's not going to give you something that nobody else can receive that's not already contained within the Word. That's because the Spirit of God is the author. He is the author and the giver of the Word of God. We're going to talk a, a little bit more about that in a minute. The Word of God here means the things God has said. Everyone here is saying, well, of course. Of course, pastors. It's taken you this long to get to what we already know, the part that we already know. It is the Word. It's the Bible, of course. We all know this, right? It's right there. It says it, black and white. Did you know that there are two words for the word in the Bible? Did you know that? Logos and rima. And each have a little different meaning. Logos, this is the Greek word that most Christians are familiar with. There are many references to this in the, in the Christian book world. There's, there's even a, a, a really large, very uh, popular uh, computer program computer Bible reference program called Logos. It's a, it's a big one. This is the word that most of us are familiar with. The word Logos refers to the total utterance of God, the complete written word of God, the entirety of the word. <clears throat> this, this here is the Logos. This is the Logos, the word of God. Everything that he has said Everything that he has said and given us right here is the Logos. But this is a different word used here. This is a a different word used for the word word. Rima. Rima is a Greek word that means an utterance. An utterance. It refers to a specific truth. A specific truth within the larger logos, within the written word. It's not independent of the word. It comes out of the word. It's a a specific portion, a passage, a verse that is in the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's rima. That is a specific truth found within the Logos, found within the larger word, an individual truth found within the entire word. When you take both of these together, when you take both of these together, the, the, the Spirit being the provider and the fact that it is a specific word, a specific truth, a specific verse, just shows how powerful the sword is to the soldier of Christ. There's three ways that this comes together for us. It demonstrates the Spirit supplying this word to us, this sword to us. 
First is the, the Spirit of God is the author. I mentioned this a, a minute ago. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God, the Logos. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It was breathed out. God breathed. God, the Holy Spirit, spoke through these holy men, gave them the very words to speak, to write. 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God is the source of the origin of what is recorded in Scripture. God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit, used human authors to write what he revealed in the Bible. The Bible, the Logos, the Word, is verbally inspired. That means that the words, the very words of the Bible, not just the ideas, were inspired. The very words. That's why the words are so important for us. To look back at the original languages. To see what the specific words that were used were for. This is not true of just some, but all the words of the Bible. This is known as verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal, the words, the very words, plenary, all thoughts, all ideas. And it is complete. It is complete. Deuteronomy 4.2 says, don't add to, don't take away. Jesus himself in Matthew 5.18, not one iota, not one dot will not be fulfilled. Everything. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Word, and it is complete. It's all we need. Second, the Spirit enables us to understand the Word. To understand the Word. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. <clears throat> now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who, from, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit enables us to interpret the Scriptures and understand their meaning. Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The Spirit is what brings that illumination to us, to understand what God's Word is telling us, reveals the truth that is there. Spirit is the author of the Word and the teacher of the Word. The third way the Spirit supplies the sword to us is that the Spirit enables us to use it properly, to use it properly. See, it's one thing to know God's Word, to intellectually receive it, to intellectually receive it, but it's another thing to know how to use it, to get it out of our heads and into our hands. 
to use it to defend ourselves against the attacks of the devil, to use it to to go to the strongholds of the devil, to, to rescue those who are held captive. As we find ourselves in the day of battle, it is the Spirit working in us that brings Rima, Rima, particular verses to the, to the forefront of our minds, our hearts. Just the right verse for just the right situation at just the right time. And this is really at the heart of what Paul intends for us to understand in this passage. The Spirit is the author of the Word. That is true. The Spirit enables us to understand the Word. Also true. But a sword does no good left in its scabbard, left in its sheath on the side of the soldier. It must be drawn out to be used. As we live the Christian life, we find ourselves in specific situations. It is the Spirit that draws out what we have read, what we have learned, what we have studied. He brings things to our mind in a certain, certain situation. He says, say this to them. Respond with that. Tell them this truth. They need to know this. How many times, so many times in our Christian lives we're faced with a situation as somehow we, we think of just the right verse, say it just the right time to the, just the right person. How many of you, how many of you have experienced that? Probably every one of you. Amen? Amen? This is the Holy Spirit putting the sword in your hand. This is him putting that sword in your hand. Right verse, the right time, to the right person, just the right situation, speaking just the right truth. And that leads us to how it is used. How is it used? The practical application. It is to be used defensively and offensively. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a, Welsh, a Welsh evangelical preacher, said it this way. The sword serves a dual purpose, defensive and offensive. It is something where we can, by, by we can repel the enemy, that's the defense, but also the attack of the enemy, that's the offense. We've not to merely repel or resist the enemy's nefarious attacks in a negative sense, but that there is also to be a positive element. He, the devil, is to be caused to retreat. We're not supposed to just resist his attacks. We're not supposed to just resist the attacks of the enemy. We are to drive the devil back. We are to, to push darkness back. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. There is to be a defensive and offensive use of the sword. Defense, first let's think about the defensive use. There's no better example of using the rima of God than Jesus himself. Of course, Jesus was, you know, a master of the word. He he was the word come flesh. 
how he responded to the devil when he was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, 2 through 4. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan takes him to the pinnacle of the, of the temple. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Don't you, don't you have a promise in the Old Testament about angels protecting you? He takes him to the mountaintop. All of this, all of this can be yours. All you have to do, bow down to me. Just bow down to me. Each time Jesus responded with Deuteronomy, it is written, it is written, do not put your Lord God to the test. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What was, what was the result? Every time these attacks came, he responded with the word. What was the result? In verse 11 it says, then the devil left him. Then the devil left him. Jesus could have called the angels to fight the devil. He could have just commanded Satan to leave. But he used the word of God. And he used a specific text, a specific saying of God, a rima. He didn't quote some random text, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That wouldn't have been effective. That didn't, that didn't speak to the specific situation at hand. His resistance directly addressed the attack, directly addressed the temptation. He didn't swing the broadsword. He didn't swing the broadsword. Can't just pick up your Bible and, and flail it around. Must be used with precision. Sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, but it is not just a Bible. Some people feel that just having a Bible on the nightstand is somehow a protection. But a Bible on a coffee table is no threat to the devil. Amen. Only when you take it up, when you take up a, a living, empowered Word from God, you speak it into the fight present moment. And that causes the devil to flee. The next time the devil comes to you and says, you know, you know, God is just not good to you. You know, he's, he's just holding out on you. Look at everyone else. I mean, look how well they're doing. I mean, good marriages, nice cars, nice house, God must love them more than he loves you. Look at, look at how you suffer. You, you can respond with, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink. Look at the birds of the air. Does God not love you more than them? Or 
when he says, well, you went too far this time. You know, God's, God's just through with you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all righteousness. Be gone, Satan. Don't come to me with those lies. You need to be on the defensive. Use the sword of the Spirit to deflect those attacks. Next, you need to be on the offensive too. If you're only on the defense, you're, you're never going to win a ball game or a battle. It's just a matter of time before you lose. You're, you're only holding off the inevitable. When the accuser tries to remind you of your past, Remind him of his future. Satan, you're playing a losing hand, buddy. One day, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That includes you. Revelation 20.10, And the devil was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. That's what you got coming, buddy. Satan, that's, that's what you got coming. Remind yourself and remind him. Martin Luther wrote that famous hymn that we sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That line in there, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Go on the offensive against Satan. To be on the offensive also means to advance into enemy territory. To advance, not just hold your ground, to advance. To use a sword to to rescue those who are imprisoned by Satan. To, To launch an aggressive attack against the kingdom of darkness. To use the sword, the word of God, to to rescue, to reach lost souls. There is nothing else, nothing else that will deliver them from the kingdom of darkness except the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit that convicts of sin. No one comes to conversion without first experiencing conviction. You cannot bypass conviction and be converted. A physical sword stabs the body. The sword of the Spirit pierces the heart. It stabs the conscience. At Pentecost, Peter Peter preached that, uh, that great sermon of, of Christ crucified. And when, they, when they heard it in Acts 2.37, they, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They cried out, what do we do, brothers? What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for forgiveness of your sins. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions, the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Sword of the Spirit is is what cuts to the the heart, exposes their sin, confronts them with their own guilt. And after the heart is cut open with the sword, the same sword must then convert the heart. This is the only sword that can perform a heart transplant, a heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. This cutting is a blessing. It's a blessing. Because this is how they find healing. A surgeon doesn't make an incision. He doesn't make a cut with a scalpel to kill the patient. No, he does it to bring about good, to bring healing. 1 Peter 1.3, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. The sword of the Spirit convicts, it converts, and it cleanses. We must take it on the offensive. We must rescue lost souls, the sword, the Spirit. So how do we take up this sword? How do we take up this sword? First, we must read the Word. Well, that seems pretty basic, right? Seems Easy enough, straightforward enough, right? Read the Word. But most Christians have never read the Bible all the way through. They say, well, I just don't have time. You know, I'm working a lot. You know, then the kids have this going on in these sports. The grandkids have this going on. And man, by the time we run back and forth to ballet and, and soccer and softball and this and that and the other thing, you know, I just, oh, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. Well, Nielsen's did a survey. They found on average people watch five hours and four minutes a day of TV. Five hours and four minutes a day TV. If you add social media into that mix, it could be as much as 11 hours a day you're interacting with media of some sort, whether it's, it's TV or Facebook or, or Instagram or, or whatever other things they have, YouTube videos. But if you read 12 minutes a day, you can read the whole Bible in one year. You have time. You have time. Don't lie to yourself or to the Lord. You must read to have the rima to draw from. Must read to have the rima to draw from. Second, you must you must hear the word. You must hear the word. Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Luke 11.28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. We need to hear the word, not only read the word. We need exegetical preaching and teaching that explains the scripture, 
historical context, the spiritual significance, the application in our lives. We must, we must hear the word explained to us. We must believe the word. We must believe the word. Hebrews 4.2, the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith by those who heard it. The word's powerful. And it's effective whether you believe it or not. But it's not going to be effective in your life unless you believe it. So believe the word. Receive it with faith. And then study the word. Study the word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We all need to learn how to rightly handle the Word, study the Word, to interpret the Word accurately. Systematic and in-depth Bible study. Build a library of study helps, concordances and commentaries, so you can have cross-references and learn the historical background behind some of these things. Need to study the Word. Need to apply the word. James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Remember, back to our study into, through James. It's not enough to just know it. It has to be applied. It's not enough to, to memorize and meditate on these things. It also has to be obeyed. You have to do what it commands you to do. And then you need to share the word. You need to share the word. It should not just be in our minds or in our hands, in our hearts. It should be on our lips. On our lips so that we're sharing the word with others. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul reminds Timothy, reminds Timothy how from his childhood he'd been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, do you remember who had shared those scriptures with Timothy? Do you remember who shared those scriptures with Timothy? It was his ma and his grandma. Share the word. We start it in our own homes, our families. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. It's your responsibility. Share the word with your family. And then we share that word with others. Go on the offense. It is the Holy Spirit that puts the word, the sword in our hands. He is the author. He is the teacher. He is the enabler. We must know God's word so that we have a full war chest of scriptures for the spirit to draw from. Knowing the Bible in general without knowing specific texts will not help us in the time of battle or temptation. Christ defeated Satan's onslaught by quoting scripture. Rima, the right word for the right situation, the right time. Resist. Repel, thwart. This is how we use it defensively. But we also need to be 
on the offense. Don't just hold your ground. You need to be advancing. There are people who need to hear the word. They need the word. Take the gospel to the lost. Teach your children and your grandchildren. Teach others in Bible studies or in discipleship groups. There's somebody that you know. Come alongside them. Hey, let's do a Bible study together. Just you and me. Teach them the Word. Share the truth of Scriptures with friends, neighbors. Knowing the Word will enable us to be used by the Lord to expand and to edify His church, His kingdom. You are a soldier in the army of God. You are a soldier in the army of God. Prepare yourself. Put on the full armor of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again grateful for your word. We're grateful for the the logos, the complete word that is given to us. Everything that we need to know is found within it. And we're grateful for the Rima, the specific verses that speak to the precise moment in time, precise temptation or situation. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit which gives us this word, that gives us this sword that enables us to bring those specific truths to the forefront of our minds so that we're able to defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. We're able to to go on the offense and to share the truth of your word with, with desperate souls who are in bondage to sin. When they think that they've lived a pretty good life and that, you know, they've probably done enough, that we can remind them that all have sinned, all have fallen short. The glory of God. The punishment is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, may you help us. Holy Spirit, may you indwell us and do the work putting this sword in our hand as we advance your kingdom. Pray that you will do this for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray all of this. Amen.